This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Sure to get the last laugh, British comedian Spike Milligan had posted on his headstone when he died in 2002, I told you I was sick. Sickness, death, and dying, however, is no laughing matter, at least not for King Hezekiah, whose desperate prayer in 2 Kings 20 actually incited God's healing of a terminal illness in the king. And as we'll see, the judgment of God on sin is no laughing matter either. It is the king's devotion that stays the hand of God's punishment on Judah's idolatry for at least 15 more years, setting the stage for one of the most puzzling chapters in the good king's life. We'll consider it all today as we dive into 2 Kings chapter 20. Verse 1 reads, In those days Hezekiah became terminally ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, came and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Set your house in order, for you're about to die, and you will not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly, and have done what pleases you. Hezekiah wept bitterly. Isaiah had not yet gone out of the inner courtyard when the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, This is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. I have heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. Look, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you'll go up to the Lord's temple, and I'll add 15 years to your life. I will rescue you and this city from the grasp of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. 2 Kings 20 is a somewhat puzzling chapter because On the one hand, we see another beautiful example of Hezekiah's humble dependence on God for survival and God's miraculous provision for this man. But the chapter ends with Hezekiah's proud flaunting of Israel's riches to the delegation from Babylon, only to incur Isaiah's prophecy of ultimate judgment for his actions and the actions of the people of Judah. Then the chapter ends with an epitaph of Hezekiah's life. So is Hezekiah a good guy or a bad guy? Or maybe he's just a guy. And that just might be the point. He's human. And that humanity is underscored in both his good and bad decisions in this chapter. The chapter opens with the king falling terminally ill. It seems unfortunate that after God triumphantly defends Israel and pronounces doom on Sennacherib, Hezekiah can't enjoy the blessings of God's deliverance for very long before he learns the news that he is going to die as well. But like the last chapter, Hezekiah knows what to do with bad news. Take it before the Lord. Hezekiah laments over his illness, citing his uprightness and faithfulness before God. Now the astonishing thing is that God hears and answers his prayer before Isaiah even leaves the palace. You can read Hezekiah's prayer for yourself in Isaiah chapter 38. It's a glowing example of how to pray in these moments. 
It's clear from that prayer that Hezekiah thought for sure that his life was over and was in great distress over it. But then those words of despair turn to declarations of gratitude. Almost mid-sentence, his prayer turns to unbridled joy for God's deliverance. He writes, You have restored me to health and let me live. Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, only the living can thank you as I do today. A father will make your faithfulness known to children. The Lord is ready to save me, and we will play stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. Curiously, though, at the news of his healing, Hezekiah requests a sign from Isaiah that God would indeed heal him, and he'd be restored back to worship again in three days at God's temple. Now, while this might seem a bit out of place for us to think about, we have to contrast this with Hezekiah's father Ahaz and how he reacted to Isaiah's message. Hezekiah's father was a wicked king who feared the aggression of the kings of the peoples of Aram and Israel to the north in Isaiah chapter 7. He feared their invasion much like Hezekiah had feared the Assyrian invasion years later. But when Isaiah the prophet came to Ahaz to comfort him, saying that God would defend Judah, Ahaz refused to listen to him. In his exasperation, God invites the king to ask him for a sign that God would protect Judah. When Ahaz, in his rebellion, refuses, God gives him a sign anyway. <laughs> that sign is one of the most important prophecies in all of the Old Testament. Isaiah says, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Basically, when God asks you for a sign, then you ask for one. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son and name him Emmanuel. So when Isaiah now comes to Hezekiah, and prophesies of a miracle, Hezekiah rightly assumes that a sign will follow such a prophecy. And that sign that the shadow would go back 10 steps on the staircase was a sign that God had answered Hezekiah's prayer for healing. Now, while it was indeed confirmation of God's healing, it also set the stage for the rest of Hezekiah's life and the test of character that would eventually become his downfall. There is a parallel account of this story in 2 Chronicles 32, and verse 31 of that chapter cites this miraculous sign as the occasion by which the Babylonian envoy comes to visit. They hear about this sign, and they come to see the miraculously healed king Hezekiah. And when the leaders of Babylon visit Judah, their leader, Merodach Baladin, is fighting to maintain power against the forces of Sennacherib in Babylon. The Assyrian aggression spread in all kinds of different directions. And it's possible that these court officials had arrived with letters and gifts to discuss a possible alliance with Babylon against Assyria. 
especially after God had miraculously spared Jerusalem and Hezekiah a chapter earlier, and then God had performed a magical sign to heal the king of a sickness. These people knew of Sennacherib's threats on Judah, and they had seen Assyria's attacks on Babylon firsthand. With all this in mind, Hezekiah's treatment of these men is even more egregious. Because Jewish history is fraught with failed political alliances that only entrap God's people in further idolatry. Remember the words of Moses not to affiliate with the other nations, the warnings of Joshua, the failed marriages of Solomon. All of these things should have been going through Hezekiah's mind as this Babylonian uh, envoy came to talk to him about developing an alliance. But Hezekiah ignored all of that and began to parlay these officials with the goods of Israel. And who knows what promises were supposedly forged along the corridors of God's temple as Hezekiah showed them all the bounty of Judah's wealth. Such naivety would play right into the hands of the forces of Babylon as they carried these people off into captivity. For when they came to destroy the city according to God's hand of judgment, they had a veritable inventory of valuable instruments to accrue for the coffers of Babylon, drinkware that would one day themselves be instrumental in the fall of that nation, as Belshazzar drank the wine of their own immorality from the cup of God's table that Hezekiah himself had foolishly displayed generations earlier to this Babylonian delegation. See Daniel chapter 5. And as the chapter ends, Hezekiah thanks God that this judgment will not occur in his lifetime. What a puzzling remark from a faithful king. Does Hezekiah not care that this people would face judgment? Why does he not think to pray a third time as God had averted crisis twice already? Perhaps it's because the king knew that God's coming judgment on their idolatry would come despite his reforms to stop it. Maybe he was grateful that God's long-suffering had honored his faithfulness to the Lord amid the rising tide of corruption around him in Judah. The dedication of one courageous leader in Israel stayed the hand of God's judgment for at least 15 years. Hezekiah's life is a fantastic example of God's grace and mercy poured out on a people because of one man's faithfulness. His life reminds us that the best of men are men at best. See, Hezekiah was a beautiful example of a repentant leader, but his, his humanity should remind us that these characters are not static, two-dimensional characters from a script. They are three-dimensional men who actually lived in history. And we often read the pages of God's word as if it is some fictional story. But we forget that these men were men with feet of clay, they were a homogenous blend of brokenness and beauty. Like us, there are moments of beautiful dependence and deplorable brokenness within the lifespan of each person, just like us. How then should we consider Hezekiah? But perhaps the most significant question that we should ask is how will we be remembered? What will be on our tombstone? Will we be recognized for the beauty of faithfulness to God or the brokenness of our selfish decisions. 
Only time will tell, and the story is still to be written in our hearts today, and that's good news. It should remind us that what we do today, the life we live, the choices we make, these decisions determine the quality of our lives and the quality of our story. When we're faced with enemies that threaten to undo us, do we find ourselves in the temple rolling out the scroll before the Lord? When we're faced with sickness that shortens our lives, are our lives consistently faithful enough to cite that devotion as a reason for God to heal? Have we seen the signs of God's faithfulness in our lives, and are we declaring that as Hezekiah did? Will we swell with pride and foolishly align ourselves with the world as a means of safety, rather than wholly depending on God? What will be the quality of our story, and will it be worth telling? Now, there are several lessons here worth considering from Hezekiah's life. One is that God answers prayer for healing. If we in faith believe and have lived lives of faithfulness to God, we can in confidence humbly ask him to heal to his glory. God may do that. He may not. He's not bound to our request or confined to our logic, but he may in his providence decide that his glory will be revealed through our healing. Or he may through his grace sustain us amid such illness. Either way, God is glorified when we trust in him. As Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Oh, that we would all have such faith. Secondly, we should be careful not to lean on our prosperity to protect us against the enemy's attacks. Hezekiah succumbed to the potential alliances with the enemy as a means of protection against Assyria. And in our own lives, we needn't hedge our bets on God's deliverance by fortifying and trusting in our abilities or wealth or ingenuity or creativity. We must rely entirely on God to defend us if we are to see his glory revealed. Finally, we need to see the impact of one man's life. Hezekiah's faithfulness to God single-handedly stayed the hand of God's judgment on Judah's corruption and idolatry for years. And we witness God's long-suffering and mercy through Hezekiah's life and reign. God will indeed bring judgment to this people. Babylon will come and carry them off into captivity because of their idolatry and because of their immorality and because of their injustice and because of their corruption. But all of that happens after Hezekiah's life. One man's faithfulness to God can make a difference. So Jesus, help us to trust you. Help us to follow your leadership and direction in our lives. May we honor you with our trust. May we not lean to our own devices, but may our faithfulness be consistent enough to pray with confidence for your deliverance. May you be glorified by our story and how we are remembered. And may you be the hero of our lives. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.